Amen. Welcome. Welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church. I'm so glad that you're here. If this is your very first time being with us at Big Valley Grace Community Church, I want you to know we're so glad you're here, and I hope that today is a great encouragement to you. We're simply a local assembly of believers who have gathered together for one purpose, and that is to worship Jesus Christ. That's what you're witnessing, a group of people who have come together to worship Jesus Christ. And I hope that by being here for the first time today, that you're so encouraged by what you see. Whether you're here on the Modesto campus or you're joining us online right now live with our online campus. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We're in a series called Grace Transforms. We're looking at the power of the grace of God. We've been looking at this uh, for a total of 12 weeks together this fall. The passage we're going to be in together today is Luke chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament. Chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 27 through 32. The verses will also be on the screen. All the verses that I read will be on the screen as well. But before we get into our text, I want to go over a few things that are basic for us as a church. One is our name. The name of our church is Big Valley Grace Community Church. And our name has, name, has its name for a reason. We want to reach this big central valley with the grace of Jesus Christ in community with his church. And we believe that if we do that, we will fulfill the purpose of our church, which the purpose of our church is to bring glory to God. That we would bring glory to God as individuals and we would bring glory to God collectively as a group of people. Which is why we want to live on mission for Jesus Christ. That we would love God, love people, and be about making disciples who will love God and love people. And be about making disciples who will love God. And it's just a cycle that keeps going. And when we take our name and our purpose, and our mission, and we point it in a direction, that's where we get what we talk about, vision. Vision is about setting direction, direction that we're heading together. And if we take our name, and our purpose, and our mission, and we point it in the direction of your actual neighborhood, we get a vision that sounds like this. Love your actual neighbor. What does that mean? What does it mean to love your actual neighbor. Well, it means every member of the body of Christ. That's people who believe. We spent two weeks in this series looking at believe. Being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Those are people who are being an incredible influence in this world. We looked at two weeks. We looked at influence together. Evangelizing. That's sharing the gospel and winning people to Jesus Christ. That's the two weeks we're looking at right now are about win. And discipling our actual neighbors. That's equipping. We'll spend two weeks looking at that coming up and leading them to do the same. That's multiplication. We'll spend two weeks looking at multiplication. So here we are in the middle of this series, Grace Transforms. And how is it possible that that vision will come about? It's possible because of the grace of God. The grace of God. The grace of God transforming our lives. Transforming residents of earth into citizens of heaven who do a number of things, and one of those things is to win, to win people to Jesus Christ, to win with Jesus Christ. This passage that we're going to look at is an example of Jesus winning someone to himself. In Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, it says this, after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. 
And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he, Levi, rose and followed him, Jesus. And Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his, Levi's house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes, they grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've been encouraging us that every member of the body of Christ being led by the power of the Holy Spirit would be evangelizing. And as we see what Jesus is doing here together, I want us to help, I want to help us see for a moment before we unpack this passage how the whole person of God is at work. In the Gospel of Luke, before this passage, before Luke chapter 5, in the Gospel of Luke, the Holy Spirit of God is mentioned 11 times already before we even get to this passage. When the angel comes to the mother of Jesus, the angel describes that Jesus will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist describes the ministry of Jesus as the forerunner, he says that Jesus will come and will baptize with the Holy Spirit. At the water baptism of Jesus, it says that Jesus looks up, he sees the heavens torn open, and he sees the Holy Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. When Jesus is about to head out into the desert for temptation against Satan himself, it says that Jesus goes into that temptation full of the Holy Spirit and that he's being led by the Holy Spirit into that temptation. When he comes out of that temptation against Satan himself, it says that he comes out of the temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter four, when Jesus reveals who he is in his hometown, in the synagogue, in Nazareth, he pulls the prophet Isaiah's scroll and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. So what we see Jesus doing here when he calls Levi, it's not somehow disconnected from the whole person of God. The whole person of God is at work here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of God in unity, working together. And as we look at this story, what I've done is I've tried to see this story, what would this story be like if it happened in my actual neighborhood? If this story was taking place in my neighborhood, what would that look like? This story, I think, has seven parts. You may look and it has, go, hey, it has less than seven. You may think it has more than seven. That's okay. I think there's seven pieces of this story that are incredibly significant as we see. It's a very short passage. It's very short. But it is so full of activity with Jesus Christ and what Jesus does in this passage. And I think this passage is a clear example of how Jesus wins a person for the kingdom of heaven. So seven parts to the story of Jesus Christ winning Levi. Part one is Jesus noticed Levi. I think this is very, very significant. Jesus noticed Levi. In verse 27, it says, after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. This week, I spent time looking at every verse that talks about Jesus seeing something. 
I read every verse that talked about Jesus seeing something, and that was fascinating to just read all the things that are recorded about what Jesus sees. Some things stuck out to me. One of the things that stood out to me was that Jesus saw people's faith. And what I find interesting when it says that Jesus saw people's faith, it's often in a moment where people are in an absolute, uh, just intense moment in their life. I mean, they are in full crisis mode. And it says that Jesus saw their faith. And I want you to know, you may be here today and you got something really intense going on in your life. And you're in full crisis mode. And I want you to know, Jesus sees your faith. Another moment that's interesting, it says that Jesus saw the crowds. But when Jesus sees the crowds, he doesn't just see this mass that, you know, is somehow irrelevant. It says that he had compassion on them, on the individuals who made up the crowd. And you might be here today, and you feel like you've been lost in the crowd, and nobody acknowledges you, and nobody knows who you are. And I want you to know Jesus sees you. He sees you in the midst of the crowd, and he has compassion on you. It says that Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem, and his heart breaks, and he weeps over the city. And I want you to know, when you drive in your city, when you drive into your neighborhood, Jesus sees the things that are going on in your neighborhood. And the things that break the heart of God that are happening in your neighborhood, Jesus sees those things. And he weeps over your neighborhood also. But of the things, all the things in scripture that it says that Jesus sees, this is the one that stood out to me the most. It's in Mark chapter 12. It says, as he sat down opposite of the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box, Many rich people put in large sums. Oh, people were coming in and they were just, oh, just, just, oh, just rich people. Just, oh, just cash, just flowing. I mean, just making all kinds of noises, their change and everything. Just, Jesus was just watching. Wow, look at those people, right? Wow. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny and he called his disciples to him and said to them truly I say to you this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put in everything she has all she had to live on. And you might be here today, and that describes the situation you're in. You're at the end of the rope. You're at the end of your means. All that you have. And I want you to know, Jesus sees you. He sees you in your situation. He sees you. And in this passage, it says that when he came out, he went and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. He sees who he is. He sees his name is Levi. He sees his occupation as a tax collector. He sees what he's doing at work that day. 
He sees them. Jesus is super intentional. He's God-focused, Father-focused, and so he's others-focused. And it makes me ask this question, am I noticing what's happening with my actual neighbors? During this last year, my wife and I just had just an incredible moment in our neighborhood. It was during the government lockdown, and we noticed all of a sudden You know, there was this family that we always saw outside and they were always hanging out together and their kids were always playing and then all of a sudden we stopped seeing them. And we noticed that the cars changed and that seemed really odd. And so what my wife and I did was we made a pie to deliver to our neighbors. And when I say that my wife and I made a pie to deliver to my neighbors, what I mean is my wife and I made an order for a pie. And then we made the drive over to Holly Sink's house to pick up the pie, because her pies are amazing. And then we made the walk from our house to our neighbor's house to deliver the pie, because that's how my wife and I make pies, and we're awesome at it. All right? So we go down and deliver a pie. And as my wife is, and I are you know, talking, we find out our neighbor went through a divorce. And here we had no clue. We're neighbors. We had no clue. Everybody, you know, everything shut down. And I'm thinking, I felt so convicted. Here my neighbor has just gone through something incredibly painful, and we had no idea. Am I noticing what's happening with my neighbors? Jesus sees. He sees what's going on. That's part one. Jesus noticed Levi. Part two, Jesus invited Levi In verse 27, he said to him, follow me. There's these two great invitations in scripture. Jesus says, come follow me and come unto me. Come follow me and come unto me. And this is one of them, come follow me. It's so simple, but it's life changing. Do you remember when Jesus extended the invitation to you? Come follow me. My wife and I, my family's sitting up in the mezzanine right now. My wife and I had just a great interaction this week. And she was reminding me about the person who did that for her. Her name was Julie Tomlinson. She's now Julie Vasquez. The Tomlinson family's been a part of our church for a long, long time. Julie Tomlinson, in eighth grade, said to my wife, come follow me. I invite you to come with me to youth group. And when my wife came to youth group in eighth grade, she met Jesus. Because Julie Tomlinson, now Julie Vasquez, invited her inviting people to Jesus Christ is so important. We've invited our neighbors a lot. It hasn't all gone real well. We've invited them to church. They said no. We invited their kids to go to kids' campus. They said no. We invited them over to hang out in our house for brownies and ice creams on National Night Out. They said no. We invited them to play games with us. They said no, but I ain't a quitter. (laughs) And I'm gonna keep inviting. I'm gonna keep inviting going to keep inviting. Part two is Jesus invited Levi. Part three is Jesus welcomed Levi. And I think welcoming past the invitation is distinct and it's different and it's important because this is an opportunity for our, our walk to now match the talk. We invited, but now what are we doing after we've invited and are we welcoming them in? It says, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So leaving everything behind, Levi rises up and he now follows Jesus. This is an incredible picture of, I mean, think of how many obstacles people have when they leave everything to follow Jesus. The obstacles they overcome, the things that the grace of God helps them to do, to leave behind everything to follow Jesus. I mean, it it is so life-changing here. I mean, this is so obvious that my eight-year-old this week 
when we're doing devotions at dinner, pointed out how important this was. We were doing day 25, on when, follow me, and we read the line, Matthew immediately got up and left everything to follow Jesus. And my eight-year-old Kean went, wow, that's amazing that he like got up right away and followed Jesus because usually when people ask people to do something, they say, in just a minute. My eight-year-old knows that. In just a minute, let me finish what I'm doing and then I'll do what you asked me to do. And my eight-year-old goes, wow, it's amazing that he, like right then, left everything, followed Jesus. Wow. Am I welcoming my actual neighbor? Because Jesus not only invites them, but he welcomes them and my wife and I, we, we've extended a lot of invitations in our neighborhood. And one time we extended invitations to our neighborhood and we're hanging out front. No one came. We're hanging out. No one came. Right? So no one came. And then all of a sudden we see a door open on our street and someone walks out the door and they start making their way to our house. We're like, oh. We were thinking like it was totally, you know, the whole thing was a bust. And then, oh man, we got to be ready. Like right now. And it was totally someone we weren't expecting. Right in that moment, my wife and I are having this great moment right out in the middle, in front of our house. Wow. Oh, wow. We were like, Come on, let's go. I mean, just into action. Totally weren't expecting it. It was this great moment. And are, are we ready to welcome? Maybe the person we're gonna welcome is a person who's coming out of great conflict. Maybe the person we're gonna welcome is someone who's an outcast. Man, are we ready to welcome them in? Are we ready to welcome? I think Jesus, that's a great example here. He extends an invitation. He notices them, he extends an invitation, but he welcomes them in when he accepts the invitation. I think it's great. So Jesus notices him, he invites him, he welcomes in part four, Jesus included Levi's friend. It says, and Levi made him a great feast at his house. This is verse 29. Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. Now, it's Levi's house and so Levi's hosting the party here but what I think is incredible is that there was room for Jesus. There was room in Jesus' life for all of Levi's friends. Because Jesus makes room at the table, if you will, for all of Levi's friends. Room at the table in Jesus' life for all of Levi's friends. And that's just a cool picture to me. And what happens when, I mean, this, this moment here is referred to as a Levi party. Maybe you've heard that moment, you've heard that, or a Matthew party. It's when someone comes to Christ or someone meets Christ and then they invite all their friends so that they can meet Jesus too. And that comes from this passage here. When people talk about they had a Levi party or they had a Matthew party, it's that they came to Christ and they wanted all their friends to meet Christ, so they invite all their friends over so they can tell them about Christ. And that's what we see him doing right here. He's throwing a party and Jesus is really the guest of honor. And what happens when there's people who are of a different diversity than you? Or am I ready to include them at my table? Or they're from a different culture. Am I ready to include them? This is, I mean, or what about when there's someone who has a different worldview or they have a different belief system? This is a great moment for my wife and I to be challenged. Are we willing to be hospitable and to include those who are different, who are different? I may look and go, you know, my neighbor's friends, I don't really fit in with that group, so I'm gonna quit and not even try because I don't fit in. So I'm gonna stop before I even start. And this is a challenge for my wife and I. Wow. You know, we've invited people to Thanksgiving, you know, lots of years. And we've had, you know, 
lots of, lots of people come to Thanksgiving to our home. There's been a few times where something like this has happened, though. We invited a neighbor, and our, our neighbor said, yeah, we'll come. And then when our neighbor came to Thanksgiving, they brought people with them. And I'm literally opening up my front door, and I'm meeting people for the very first time, and hey, well, let me get you a seat. Let me get out another table, and let me, put out, let me get some more chairs. And, you know, and what a great moment. No clue they're even coming. I'm meeting people, and what happens when that person, they just have a way different culture than me, way different background. What a good place for my wife and I to learn some things about Jesus in that moment, being ready to include them. So Jesus does a great job here of including Levi's friends. Part five, Jesus didn't let the reputation of Levi stop him. He noticed Levi, he invited Levi, he welcomed Levi, he included Levi's friends, and then Jesus didn't let the reputation of Levi stop him because Levi had a reputation. And Jesus didn't let that get in the way. In verse 30 here it says, and the Pharisees and their scribes, they just grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like, do you not understand who you're passing bread around with? Do you not understand the people who are sitting at the meal table with you? Like, do you not understand who is with you? Jesus knew something about reputation. The scriptures say that people said this about Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? Isn't he like Joseph's son, the carpenter? Isn't he the one, you know, whose mom had a baby out of wedlock? Jesus knew what it was like for people to talk about him. And in this moment, Jesus knows the reputation of who he's having a meal with full well. He knows exactly who he's eating with. He knows exactly their reputation. In the book of Acts, we have this incredible moment where God is saving the apostle Paul. Saul, he saves him, he becomes Paul. And God uses this guy named Ananias in Acts chapter nine, verse 13. And, when, and God tells Ananias, hey, I want you to go talk to Paul. He goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you know who that guy is? Don't you know who Saul is, God? Like, God, have you not heard? He's a bad guy. Lord, I've heard, I've heard his reputation. I've heard about this man from many people. Like a lot of people are talking about this guy. How much evil he's done. God's like, yeah, I know. That's who I want you to go talk to. I, I understand the reputation. Go talk to that guy. My, my, when I was growing up, we had some rules on TV, all right? And they're, they're a little odd, but I'm gonna share them anyway. One, we couldn't watch anything that had to do with sex. Totally off limits, all right? Anything sexual, off limits from TV. However, military, we're good. Police, we're good. Kung Fu, we're good. Those are the rules, all right? Those are the rules with TV. And so we're watching cops, all right? You know, film live in LA, you know, cops. Uh, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Right, that one, right? And we're watching cops, and my dad and I, my brothers, we're watching cops, and we're like, Wait a minute, isn't that our next door neighbor? I mean, we're literally on cops. We're like, wait, isn't, lock the doors. Like, isn't that the guy who lives next door? I and mean, we had this crazy moment, right? <laughs> Reputation. Reputation. There's people who live around us. Reputation. Am I letting the reputation of my actual neighbor stop me? We had this great moment where my wife and I made the decision, hey, we're gonna invite somebody who has a very different lifestyle than us. 
very different belief system than us. It was great. And they came. We were really excited. And it was awesome to get to know somebody who's got a different reputation than us, different things about their history. Jesus didn't let the reputation of Levi stop him. Part six, Jesus knew that Levi and his friends needed healing. This is so clear in this passage. He knew they needed healing. In verse 31, Jesus answered, you know, because the scribes and the Pharisees are complaining and grumbling at the disciples. You know, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Like, don't you know who you're hanging out with? Don't you know their reputation? This is what Jesus says. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus answered him, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I want you to know, when Jesus says this statement right here, I think he's saying it directly to the scribes and Pharisees about the scribes and Pharisees. I do not think this is a compliment that he's saying. I don't think, it's a, I don't think he's making a compliment and saying, you're so well, you don't need a physician. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's doing is he's saying, you think you're well, and you think you don't need a physician, and those who are well have no need of a physician. In other words, you don't think you need me. You don't think you need me in your life. But you know what's really clear? Those who are sick know they need help. And when in scriptures, I spent a lot of time looking at people being healed by Jesus. It is so clear in scripture. When people are blind, they know it. When people can't walk, they know it. When people are bleeding, they know it. When people have someone die in their family, they know it. They all know they need help. And they come to Jesus, they know they need help. And all these times where Jesus is healing, he teaches so clearly, it's not about the end result of the physical healing, it's about pointing people to himself that he is God. And that he has a spiritual healing that is far greater than the physical healing. The people that Jesus raised from the dead still died physically. The people who he gave eyesight to still died physically. The the physical healing isn't the end, you know, the end game. The end game is worshiping Jesus Christ as God and placing faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation because that's the greatest healing that's needed is that souls would have life in Jesus Christ. Souls that are dead would have life in Jesus Christ. And he says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I want you to know, this is the category I'm in, those who are sick. I know full well that I need Jesus. I need Jesus desperately every day. I am in this category right here, those who are sick. And when I come face to face with the great physician, I wanna thank him, thank him, thank him because I understand I'm sick and I need him. I need the great physician in my life. And I want you to know, there's room in this category for you too. And I welcome you. I welcome you to the fellowship of those who know that they're sick. And I welcome you to the fellowship of those that they need Jesus Christ. They know they need Jesus Christ. There's room for you at the table. 
And Jesus comes to the table and he knows those who are sick need him. And those who are sick need healing. And that to me is a great encouragement to me in my own brokenness before the Lord. He knows I need him. May I be someone who welcomes in the great physician into my life to receive the healing that Jesus wants to bring. And I welcome you to join me in that. Jesus knew Levi and his friends needed healing. It makes me ask, am I aware that my actual neighbor needs healing? Am I aware that the people who live right around me need healing? So Jesus noticed Levi, Jesus invited Levi, Jesus welcomed Levi, Jesus included Levi's friends, Jesus didn't let the reputation of Levi stop him, Jesus knew Levi and his friends needed healing, and then you top it all off, part seven. Jesus shared the gospel with Levi and his friends. Jesus shared the gospel with Levi and his friends. In verse 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. At the dinner table, he calls them all sinners. And you may think, that's very rude. No, it's not. It's the kindest thing Jesus can do in this moment. It is so gracious to share the gospel. It is so kind and loving and compassionate to say, sinners need to repent. I haven't come to call the righteous or those who think they are, those who think they're well, who think they don't need a physician, I'm coming for the sick. I'm coming for sinners who need to repent. And this moment right here, right in front of all the guests at dinner, he straight calls them all out as sinners. I love it. And he's not being mean. He's being truthful. And he's being very loving. I've come to call sinners to repentance. What a gracious, gracious, gracious thing that we see Jesus doing here. It makes me ask, am I sharing the gospel with my actual neighbor? You know, when I think about loving my actual neighbor, am I understanding that the, the greatest expression of how I could love my actual neighbor is to tell them about how Jesus wants to save them from their sin? That I would share the gospel with the person that I'm with and point them to the love of Jesus Christ. Not as I'm pointing a finger like somehow I'm not a sinner and they are. Or somehow I'm the one who's well and they're the one who's sick. No. Let's look to Jesus together in the fellowship of those who need him. In the fellowship of the broken. In the fellowship of those who need the grace of God. Let's rejoice together as we look at Jesus together and believe in Jesus together and trust in Jesus together. Because he's the savior of our sin, and he is my God, and he is my Lord. Whew. Wow, what an expression of love, and we see Jesus doing that. You know, my wife and I have tried to build bridges of communication for the sake of the gospel. One of the ways that we try to build bridges of communication was brownies. I'm telling you, start with brownies. Brownies are so, that's a, such a good place to start building a, a communication bridge for the gospel. My wife makes killer brownies. I don't want to know what's in them because they're probably going to kill me. They're amazing. I mean, they're so good. We made, you know, we made brownies. My wife, when I say we made brownies, I mean my wife made brownies. And uh, we, we made brownies. We, do, you know, we wrote on the box here, love your neighbor, Jesus. Pretty good quote. He's a pretty good guy to quote. So we wrote that on the box of brownies, and then at the bottom here, we wrote a little note from our kids. 
and we went and we delivered these. We've taken, you know, our neighbor's pies. I've told you about that. We've invited our neighbors to meals. You know, we've invited our neighbors to play games. You know, I, just, I, I live next to a huge apartment complex it, just two weeks ago. I met one of my neighbors in the apartment complex at a memorial. It was just kind of random. And, you know, it's like a three-story apartment complex. And this person goes... I'm the apartment that looks directly into your backyard. I've been watching you and your family for years. You guys throw a lot of parties. I go, yeah, we do. We do throw a lot of parties. Thank you for being our neighborhood watch. Why don't you cross the parking lot and come join us for one of our parties? Because we want to be hospitable and we want to welcome people in and we have a lot to celebrate in our family. And all of that is working towards the gospel. What does God want to do with our family? How does God want to use our family for the gospel? Grace transforms residents of earth into citizens of heaven who win with Jesus Christ. When I think about this cross, this cross is not a sign that Jesus is the victim. This is a sign that Jesus is the victor. He is the winner. Jesus is victory. He is victory. He is the one who wins. And his grace transforms us. His grace transforms us that we would win with him. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I ask you this question. What is the story like in your actual neighborhood? We've looked at what the story's like in Levi's neighborhood. But what's the story like in your actual neighborhood? That's why we're talking about this vision. This vision to love your actual neighbor. This means every member of the body of Christ being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God to evangelize and disciple our actual neighbors and to lead them to do the same. Father, God, Lord, we humbly, humbly, humbly come before you. God, make us this type of people. Make us this type of people. God, use us. Thank you so much that you've noticed us and you've invited us and you've welcomed us and you've included our friends and you didn't let our reputation stop you from being with us and and you knew that we needed healing and you have shared the gospel with us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have done that to us. God, help us. Help us to come along for the ride as you want to do that with more people. Make us into that kind of people. And so we need your help, Lord, and we love you and we praise you. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said.